It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Tuesday, July 27th, 2021. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. My name is Guy Benson, your host. Happy to have you here. Every weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, that's when the show airs. If you miss us as we air live, there's always a podcast as an option. The show becomes a free podcast at the conclusion of the show every day. On demand, no charge. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. All the ways to listen live or to get that free podcast. FoxNewsPodcasts.com, also an option, as well as many other avenues and other platforms where you may get your podcasts on a regular basis. We are almost certainly there. When in doubt, GuyBensonShow.com. I'll be on Kennedy's show tonight on the TV side, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Business Network, joining her panel. Looking forward to that. Here on the radio, we've got a lineup. Later this hour, Janice Dean will join us to react to some pretty astounding, shameless comments from the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. We played you one of the sound bites yesterday. Janice is beside herself, and rightfully so. She'll be here with her response. In the next hour, Dr. Manny Alvarez, one of the Fox medical team members, he'll join us, as he so often does, with his analysis of a new announcement from the CDC that I'm going to dig into here in just a moment. So Dr. Manny will give his medical advice, his medical opinion, on what the CDC has now decided. In our final hour, the happy hour, Ben Shapiro, buddy of mine, may have heard of him, he's got a bit of a following, Ben Shapiro, who is just prolific in his book writing. I don't know how he does it, but there's a new book of his out today, and we will have him here to discuss the authoritarian moment, which hit bookshelves today. Ben Shapiro on The Guy Benson Show coming up. Let's bring you a Fox News alert and stats. Coronavirus combined cases that are confirmed based on known tests in the United States over the course of the entire pandemic, cumulatively now 34.5 million. The real number, of course, much higher. The death toll now 610,722 in the United States. The Dow is down 137 points right now to 35,005. Bad day on the markets across the board, perhaps because markets are reacting to the CDC putting out new guidance today. So we've been seeing some indications that this might be coming. And we've heard little sound bites. We played some of what Dr. Fauci's had to say on this. And it seemed like the breadcrumbs were leading inevitably toward this moment. And so it has occurred. This from the New York Times headline, CDC will recommend some vaccinated people wear masks indoors again. 
Reversing a decision made just two months ago, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is expected to recommend on Tuesday that people vaccinated for the coronavirus resume wearing masks indoors in certain parts of the country. The change follows reports of rising breakthrough infections with more contagious Delta variant in people who are fully immunized and case surges in regions with low vaccination rates. CDC also recommending masking in K-12 through schools this fall for students of all ages, regardless of vaccination status. <sighs> I'm not even sure what to say. We have spent a great amount of time and energy and focus and cautious, careful reporting on this show speaking to doctors almost every day for a year and a half here. We've done all of that in pursuit of the truth and reasonable, rational guidance that I try to follow myself and I try to impart those priorities and those facts to all of you. I try to do so transparently, respectfully, non-judgmentally. And one of the things that I have said, probably to the point that some of you are sick of it, let's be honest, is that the vaccines work. And I've said that because they do. They do work. One of the arguments made by the pro-vaccine camp, and I'm very much in that camp, is that by getting fully vaccinated against COVID-19 with one of our safe and effective vaccines... You can get back to your normal life. You can take the mask off. You can resume normalcy. That was a powerful argument for a lot of people, including me, to go get fully vaccinated. And the science has not changed, by the way. It's not all of a sudden the CDC reversing itself again. I'm just hopeless. They are hopeless. They're not doing this because of some shocking new revelation based on data. That is not what's driving this. Because there was a study that was just released looking at these these vaccines that showed yet again, and this is from the New York Times story, Pfizer and Moderna have been shown across a huge swath of people There are hundreds of millions of people vaccinated across the world with Pfizer and Moderna. And in this study, it showed that those two mRNA vaccines are 94% effective against a symptomatic illness from COVID-19 once you've been fully vaccinated. By the way, if you get one out of the two shots, it's 82% effective. That's really damn good. That's really damn good. It's much more effective, for example, than the flu shot, 82%. You bump it up to 94% if you're fully vaccinated, like I am, with both shots of Pfizer or Moderna. 94% preventative of symptomatic, meaning you feel something, COVID-19 cases. In other words, overwhelmingly, if you have the vaccine, you are not going to get sick at all from COVID. Now, we know that there are breakthrough cases. Right? We've heard a lot about them. We've heard too much about them, frankly, because someone testing positive when they have like a sniffle or a slight cough or no symptoms at all, but they're testing asymptomatic people, 
that gets trumpeted all over the place like a breakthrough case. Oh, we're all concerned. Ed Morrissey, my colleague at Town Hall Media, writing at HotAir.com, looks at the actual numbers. In addition to that 94% effectiveness rate, efficacy against symptomatic illness from fully vaccinated or among fully vaccinated people, the hospitalization rate among fully immunized people amounts to 0.35% of the immune. So if you're fully vaccinated, and that is a massive population in the United States, 163 million have been fully vaccinated here in this country, 163 million people, 163 million of us fully vaccinated. And there are a little over 5,000 breakthrough hospitalizations among that group of people. 163 million, 5,600 breakthrough hospitalizations. 0.35%. So you have a 99 plus percent chance of not going to the hospital. You're so sick from COVID if you're fully vaccinated. The death rate? People who have a breakthrough infection that kills them or at least contributes to their death, 0.07%. We are talking about tiny fractions, statistically insignificant. Look, every life lost is is significant because every life matters and is precious. But when we are making policy decisions, it has to be based on data and broad science and not vanishingly rare exceptions. And when you tell a bunch of people, go get vaccinated, it works. You're not going to get sick or badly sick, and you can go back to normal. And all of that is true and is still true based on the data, even with Delta variant. And then you turn around and say, well, actually, we're going to ask you to put your masks back on indoors, even if you're vaccinated. You are sending a muddled, mixed message that is going to infuriate some people who are vaccinated and is going to indicate exactly the wrong thing to people who might be open to persuasion who are not yet vaccinated, which ought to be the priority here. And yet this is what the CDC, in all of its infinite wisdom, has decided. And that'll be the big headline. When the headlines, by the way... CDC says people who are vaccinated can take their masks off even indoors. Guess what happened? Vaccination rates went up. People said, oh, freedom. That sounds great. I'm going to go do it. I wonder what effect this might have. It is absolutely maddening. Then there's the school kids component. Where they're going to recommend masking for children in schools in the fall, across the country, according to the CDC. Because, oh, if you're under 12, there's no vaccine for you yet. We've got to keep the kids safe. The kids are already safe. I'm sorry if I'm sounding a little bit angry, but how many times do you have to repeat the same factual information and then have it sort of blow up in your face where these supposed experts decide all of that data is irrelevant and they're just going to do this other thing anyway? under the guise of science or safety. In fact, a lot of this new guidance for vaccinated people, they're saying fully vaccinated adults need to put masks on indoors to protect their own children who aren't vaccinated. This is crazy. 
Children are not affected by this disease. They do not have negative health impacts from COVID-19. There are tiny exceptions, but the rules should be set by and based on the rule, not the tiny, tiny microscopic exceptions, tragic and awful as they may be. We didn't have parents wearing masks indoors to protect their own children before the vaccines. And now they're saying this is what you ought to do, especially in communities with low vaccine rates. Post-vaccination, even if you've done the right thing and gotten vaccinated, they might as well put a giant flashing billboard on top of the CDC building that says, we don't believe in the vaccines. Now, their position is much more nuanced, and they would vigorously argue the opposite. No, of course we believe in the vaccines. Look at all this data. People should get vaccinated for all these reasons. And they're right about that. But the headlines that they're going to generate with this policy will telegraph to a hell of a lot of people exactly the opposite. The United Kingdom, our friends, our cousins across the pond, they've had a really brutal time with COVID. Their death rate is worse than ours. They have had extremely strict lockdowns nationwide. They're a much more deferential population when it comes to governmental authority, certainly than we are. They have much more centralized authority in their government than we do. They have had very stringent lockdowns and restrictions over there. And even so, the UK government correctly recognized, based on the data, that children can be in schools safely, which a lot of teachers' unions refuse to believe, regardless of the science last year. And not only that, in the UK, kids can be in schools and do not have to wear masks because they are not at risk. That's what the UK, the restriction-obsessed, mandate-happy UK said no masks necessary for children in schools. That was what they concluded, correctly so. I want you to think about this. This is the CDC's own data. Just about 350, less, in fact, fewer than 350 children, Americans under the age of 18 in this country, have died with COVID during the pandemic. A little more than 300 kids under the age of 18 have died with COVID during the pandemic. And by the way, when the UK really drilled down on their youth COVID death numbers, it turned out that a lot of those supposed COVID deaths were actually not COVID deaths. It was down to double digits, like something like 25 children in all of the UK died of COVID. In the United States, the number is 337, and that number is likely in reality lower. There are 75 million Americans in that age range, infancy till 18. 75 million. Of which, just over 300 have died with COVID over the course of the pandemic. Run the math. It is an infinitesimally small number. More American children, and I, if you've Heard me say this before. I mean, it's because you have. I've said this before. We've had experts on the show talking about this, doctors. More American children over the course of this pandemic have died from drowning, have died from pneumonia, for example, than from COVID or with COVID. 
and yet masks in schools are now the official guidance of the CDC. It is mind-blowing. So we're going to punish kids for no reason. We're going to tell vaccinated people to put their masks back on to protect their kids, even though the kids aren't at risk. And then the CDC is going to sit around and say, you better follow our recommendations. We are the science. We are the experts. Why don't these people listen to us? Maddening. Absolutely maddening. The vaccines work. Please get vaccinated. Then live your life that way. That way meaning like the vaccines work because they do. No matter what the CDC might do to muddy the waters. We'll talk to Dr. Manny about this later in the show. Obviously, I have thoughts. I've shared a lot of them with you. We're just getting started. Tuesday edition of the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Guy Benson will be right back. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. CDC recommends fully vaccinated people wear masks in public indoor settings to help prevent the spread of the Delta variant and protect others. That's Rochelle Walensky, the CDC director, reversing herself completely from at least a little bit of belated progress from the CDC a few months ago. They're telling us the vaccines work. Please get them. I agree. But also wear the masks anyway indoors, including children in schools. The infection fatality rate for five to nine-year-olds in the United States from COVID has been 0.001%. Almost non-existent. That's like as close to zero as you're going to get. And yet you're going to have a bunch of first graders forced to wear masks all day in class. Based on nothing. Remember when the mask mandates were dropped in Texas and Mississippi and Biden called it Neanderthal thinking and, you know, there's a a big holocaust of people coming and everyone's going to die and the Republicans have done it again and then none of that happened? The number one thing they should be trying to do is figuring out how to get unvaccinated people convinced to get the vaccine, not this nonsense, which will alienate the vaccinated and turn away the unvaccinated. Insane. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you here on this Tuesday. I'm Guy Benson. On The Guy Benson Show, we are joined now... By Janice Dean, senior meteorologist at Fox News, New York Times bestselling author. Her latest book is Make Your Own Sunshine. And for the first half hour of today's show, I was reacting to the CDC guidance on masking for vaccinated people, for children, 
including children in schools. And my blood pressure went up. And I would love for my blood pressure to come back down, but I don't think it's going to happen in this segment, on this topic. The topic being Governor Cuomo, state of New York, and some of the statements that have now been made. Just utterly shameless. Janice, it's good to have you back. I agree with you 100%. (laughs) I know you do. Blood pressure down. (laughs) I know. I know. Let's just play some of what he said yesterday. We aired one of the clips on yesterday's show. Let's start with cut 19. As I sit here, I have told you the facts on COVID from day one. Whether they were easy, whether they were hard, I told you the truth. While a lot of people were talking politics, and a lot of people were talking theory, and a lot of people were trying to deny because they didn't want to deliver bad news, I told you the truth. You know why? Because I believe in you. No, it's just a complete brazen lie. The man has lied about so much, covered up so much, manipulated the data so much, he's under multiple investigations, although one of them has been dropped. We'll get to that in just a second. But he wasn't done. He had more to say. Cut 17. We're not even near the top in terms of percentage of deaths in uh, nursing homes. Why New York? Except that it was all politically motivated. To say to people who lost a loved one in a nursing home, it could have been prevented. It was a mistake by government bureaucrats. That's why your loved one died. How cruel. First of all, the reason that he keeps citing this statistic that they're not near the top on the percentage of deaths in nursing homes and comparing deaths in nursing home rates in other states to New York is because they undercounted the deaths in nursing homes in New York by thousands and have been called out repeatedly on this they cooked the books on purpose and he's using the cooked books bogus numbers to justify and promulgate the lie that new york actually did pretty well they have only done pretty well if you refuse to look at the real numbers and you look at the falsified data one more point i'm going to make on this before i turn this over to janice It is also recently revealed, the Associated Press did reporting on this, New York State did not merely undercount nursing home deaths by as much as 50%, 5-0. They also have undercounted overall COVID deaths. According to the AP, New York State data that has been provided to the federal government on the number of deaths from COVID-19 in the state was 43,000 deaths. That is the State Health Department of New York. They list 43,000 deaths from the disease. The CDC says the real number is 54,000 New Yorkers. So they're off by 11,000 overall, not just nursing homes. The way that New York counted and tabulated their deaths in nursing homes was a sham They changed it midway through because they had a problem because the governor had a terrible, fatal mistake and they tried to cover it up. 
and they covered it up actively, by the way, while he was out there soliciting a $5 million book deal, premised that he was so great and just a truth teller, that unto itself is a lie. And then when you extrapolate it, you go beyond just nursing homes to just COVID in general, COVID deaths, the New York official tally is 11,000 short compared to CDC numbers. I know you probably thought this is what Florida has done based on a flurry of lies and misinformation from political hacks. It's actually the truth in New York. And Andrew Cuomo's out there blaming everyone else for lying and targeting and being politically motivated. Toxic politics, he calls it. And, I mean, honestly, this degree of brazen dishonesty, in-your-face lying, is basically, as far as I'm concerned, this is not, you know, a medical opinion, but it feels sociopathic. It feels sociopathic to see this guy saying this stuff with everything that's happened. All right, Janice, so you heard him. He said, to tell a loved one who lost someone in a nursing home, i.e. you, you lost two loved ones in New York nursing homes, he says, for anyone to tell someone like you that it could have been prevented or it was a mistake or the government screwed up, he said that is cruel to tell people like you. What's your reaction to that? I would love for him to try to tell that to my face, that he is the victim instead of thousands of New Yorkers who he has lied to over and over again. And it's like, you know, it's like the character in Elf. You, you sit on a throne of lies Governor Cuomo. You really do. And, you know, I I know we're both not medical professionals, but I have to, you know, go to your description of him because it's the only thing that makes sense to me. How can this guy continue to go in front of national media and lie and tell more lies and blame everyone else and make him to be the victim out of all of this? It's the only thing I can come up with that he is a sociopath. Not an ounce of contrition, not an ounce of apologizing or owning up to what happened. And we've said this together, Janice, in our many conversations. If he had simply said, look, fog of war, scary new disease, we weren't sure exactly what was what, we should not have implemented the nursing home policy that we did for residents or for workers. Both of those were huge mistakes. It was a mistake. It was made in good faith. But it was a mistake, and we are so incredibly sorry that anyone may have died because we made the wrong call. I think there would have been some political blowback on that and saying, well, why did you make the wrong call? And other states did a lot better. And, you know, Ron DeSantis in Florida got this right. Why didn't you? Fine. But that would have, that would have passed. And I think a lot of people would say, you know what? Fair enough. Really tough moment to be a leader in any position having to make really tough calls on the fly. But that's not what he did. He lied over and over again. He covered things up. They falsified statistics. They withheld data from investigators in the federal government, from lawmakers in Albany. Setting aside all the special treatment on testing, for example, for his family, that's another tentacle of this scandal. They admitted, a top aide of Cuomo admitted that they didn't want to release the true numbers and they changed the way that they counted nursing home deaths because they didn't want to get political blowback and didn't want to get in trouble with the feds. She admitted this. Mm-hmm. And now we have this extra piece that I just mentioned that they undercounted overall deaths 
in the state of New York by 11,000. That's on top of their machinations with nursing home deaths. And this guy has the balls, quite frankly, to get in front of the cameras and be indignant, blaming everyone else, saying that he has been the avatar of truth. It is just, it's too much for me to listen to. And I didn't lose anyone in a New York nursing home the way you did. It has to be almost it, unbearable sometimes. It is. It's really hard for me to listen to him. It, it truly is, especially when he continues to do this broken record, you know, blaming everyone else and woe is me. And he brings his father into it. My father died. Well, your father died, didn't die at a nursing home thanks to an order by the governor to put COVID positive patients in a nursing homes. It is infuriating. It's really hard for me. I said this on Sean Hannity last night to remain ladylike. You know, it's hard for me to be on the air and try to, you know, be composed because it is so infuriating. No, when I, when I hear a soundbite like him blaming others for politics and this is all a smear, and he's been the one telling the truth, there is a two-word rebuttal that comes to mind that I cannot say because I would get fired. But that's what I want to say because that's what is worthy of him at this point. Now, I mentioned one of these investigations. There's the investigation among lawmakers in New York, in Albany. There's the investigation from the attorney general in the state. We'll get back to that in a second. Then there was the federal investigation into nursing home deaths just in general, it wasn't just New York. It was in a number of other states that had this happen. And it was underway during the previous administration. It has now been killed under the Biden administration. Now, we don't know what happened behind the scenes. We don't have great information here. It's not a total stretch in my mind, Janice, for people to ask the question, considering that it was Democratic governors, almost exclusively, not completely, but overwhelmingly Democratic governors for whom this is a political problem because this was their policy, first and foremost, Cuomo, you get this investigation that gets thwarted shortly after a Democratic administration comes into office, the same administration who at the top, the president, had Cuomo featured in primetime at his convention to brag about how great he was on coronavirus. I am not making an explicit allegation that this is politically motivated or a cover-up, But I sure would like to know what happened here. I'm sure you would, too. Absolutely. But I will say that I'm grateful for the investigation under the Trump administration, because that was the springboard to all of the investigations here in New York. So if it wasn't for the... And and by the the, way, sorry to interrupt, but just, just to remind people, it was also that Department of Justice federal investigation that prompted a lot of the covering up. Correct. To, to cover their rear ends politically, they were worried that they could get in trouble with the feds. So a lot of the lying and cover-ups that he's pretending didn't exist, they were, according to his own aide, those were done and undertaken to get around that investigation. Then, of course, also to keep the public in the dark so that he could keep the fiction alive in order to write his book and get as much money from that book deal as he possibly could, five-plus million dollars. So the plan worked. Right. From his perspective, he got the multimillion dollar book deal. The federal investigation got shut down for some reason once the White House and the administrations changed hands and changed parties. But he's got to be looking over his shoulder. I'm not going to hold my breath on the impeachment investigations because 
a lot of the Democrats are just in a holding pattern uh, and waiting to see if he's going to survive. They don't want to get on his enemies list because he's famously vindictive and ruthless. But the attorney general, Letitia James, he apparently sat down for an interview with her just a few days ago. And ever since his staff has been casting aspersions on her, on her motives, on her integrity, on her friend, uh, Preet Bahara, I believe is how you say his name, uh, who, who also, I guess, is close to her. They seem to be trying to tarnish and sully the reputations of people attached to this investigation. And it suggests to me that the governor's office is doing some preemptive damage control based on what they think or worry or know is coming down. What do you think? I've heard that her report is going to be very damaging. And, um, you know, does he survive? I mean, he wants to continue to try to run for a fourth term. But, yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. That's his M.O. I mean, he does that with everyone who kind of goes against him as he says there's political motivations. You know, he said Letitia James is going to be running for governor. I think he said the same of her buddy Preet. I mean, he that's what he does. He just says there's a reason why they're doing this against me. Um, but you know what? I think this time it might fail. And and I actually think the harassment charges are the ones that are going to bring him down because he can't blame anybody else for those. You know, that he it's slowly on it's solely on his shoulders and I think it's easier to digest for the Democrats in the state to hang him up on the sexual harassment. Mm. Uh, you know, we're we're gonna have to see. But he's also tried to you know, smear the women who at least nine of them who have come forward with the harassment charges. Oh, and also the, you know, the it, woman of color who's the attorney general that he appointed. They'd have to all be right. a bunch of liars on that front. And this is, again, something that we've talked about before. If he, in fact, is guilty on that front and he did inappropriate things or abused his power or whatever, then obviously he should be held accountable. I think that that is in a different category than what he's done on the nursing homes and the lying oh, and the cover-up. And I hope, I hope that Letitia James' report looks at both of those things because they are both worthy of uh, real examination. I guess the Justice Department has walked away from theirs for whatever reason. The Democrats in Albany are kind of uh, feckless with a few exceptions. And it might be up to her. And the fact that, again, the fact that you're seeing his people out there basically trashing her already preemptively does suggest that perhaps the rumors that you are hearing about what she's going to present uh, is correct. And I guess we'll know soon enough and we'll see how the chips fall. And when the chips do fall, we'll have you back. We have to leave it there for now. Janice Dean, senior meteorologist at Fox News. Her latest book is Make Your Own Sunshine. Not the sunniest conversation here today, Janice, but we always like having you. You have been there from the very beginning, and I am so grateful for that guy. Thank you. I got your back. On The Guy Benson Show, we'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Back here on The Guy Benson Show, we were talking a bit about crime yesterday, including in certain cities and jurisdictions run by left-wing prosecutors who are soft on crime, and it's not working well. 
We talked about the polling in Detroit, which flies directly in the face of all this activist rhetoric about the police, defunding the police, and people on the ground are living a very different reality. And that reality hit home yesterday for a longtime, very liberal Democratic U.S. Senator Barbara Boxer. Remember Barbara Boxer, California? I mean, way out there on the left, at least for her time. She was assaulted and robbed in Oakland yesterday in broad daylight, middle of the day, middle of the afternoon. She's now 80 years old. In an interview with the Los Angeles Times, she said she was robbed while walking near her apartment in the area of Jack London Square in Oakland. She said that she noticed a young man following her out of the corner of her eye, but didn't think much of it when he hopped into a car. Quote, then the driver of the car jumped out and started to come at me and come behind me. And at that point, I knew I was in trouble, she said. This is an 80-year-old woman in broad daylight in a major American city. When I saw the guy coming out of the car, coming at me, I started to run away across the street. He shoved me really, really hard with one hand and with the other He put it around my waist, grabbed my phone. He ran toward the car. I was standing and shaking. I said to them, why would you do that to a grandmother? I need to call my grandkids. He jumped in the car and sped away. I told the police this was obviously planned. They were going around looking for someone they knew to be vulnerable. It was just so planned. The guy knew what he was doing. He hit so hard. He never said... One word to me. So there's an assault and robbery of a longtime United States senator in the streets of Oakland in the middle of the day yesterday. And it's not unusual these days in the Bay Area and a number of other places. Defund the police? Another hour coming up on The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show. It's a brand new hour here on The Guy Benson Show. You are listening live. I'm glad that you're here. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is always free. Fox News alert. The Dow closes down 85 points today, closing at 35,058. Perhaps some jitters up on Wall Street about new guidance from the CDC. That's what we opened the show with earlier. CDC now recommending, again, vaccinated people wear masks indoors in some places. And then, boom, immediately we just saw a press conference on Capitol Hill. Democratic leaders Chuck Schumer and Dick Durbin, they're all masked up again. Fully vaccinated people amongst almost a fully vaccinated Congress in a heavily vaccinated city. And the masks are back on. And they're also recommending at the CDC mask wearing for children, K through 12, in school. 
even though we ran through all the numbers, and you can go back and listen on the podcast of the opening monologue, the data doesn't bear that out, but this is what the CDC has decided, and they are backtracking. It seems like we're going backwards in some ways. Is that justified medically? Joining me now is Dr. Manny Alvarez, Fox News contributor, senior health analyst. Doctor, always good to have you here. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm frustrated, and, and you might hear it in my voice. I'm very frustrated today because I have spent so much time and energy on this show with this audience, and even in my personal life with friends who are hesitant or not sure about the vaccine, doing everything that I, that I possibly can, marshalling all the data that I possibly can to convince them that the vaccines work, and then the CDC comes out and says, well, even if you are fully vaccinated, it doesn't matter. We want you to put your masks back on indoors. And I feel like a lot of the progress that has at least been attempted for some people is going to go right out of the window because they're going to say they don't really believe in the vaccines. All they want to do is control our lives. And it just for me, it feels harder to argue against that. No, listen, I, I think you have a, a very, very good point. Uh, the, the messages are incredibly mixed. Um, you know, the whole mandate of a mask for vaccinated people is, you know, really not justifiable uh, whatsoever. You know, the facts are the facts. Vaccinated people are very well protected from hospital ta- hospitalization, severe disease, and, you know, it allows them to, you know, feel free. You know, it's, it's like PTSD all over again. You know, I understand, you know, as a physician, for instance, I have to wear a mask in the hospital. But then that's a different scenario. That's, a, that's an institution where you have sick people and you have vulnerable people so that uh, even vaccinated staff, uh, you know, could, uh, you know, let's say uh, carry the virus, which is not affecting them personally, but I understand that, you know, there's certain circumstances and places where a mask is mandated. But when you start creating a very confusing message of, oh, you know, indoors, well, what does that mean? In a restaurant all of a sudden again, in small business, um, you're going to get this, uh, you know, a schizophrenic response. And just like you said, you know, there's a tremendous distrust and i don't know i never seen it uh you know this whole weekend i spent time talking to people who have been calling me because their children are going to college and the parents don't want the children to take the vaccine and you know and you know i i i i'm 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 sort of you know trying to advocate for some normal way of thinking and you know sometimes i got through sometimes i didn't get through but the bottom line is that what what is happening is that the number of cases of people that are getting COVID are those that have chosen not to be vaccinated, but you cannot really create a scenario of mixed messages for the population, the vast population that has gotten the vaccine. So this is it's just very very poor management of how to deal with this problem i think that this is going to backfire big on the president and it's going to backfire big on the cdc all over again as it did at the beginning of this whole fiasco and you know i think the message should be very clear continue with the advocacy of vaccination find ways to convince people in a normal way uh, find uh, you know people uh, you know people that have gotten vaccinated and feel very good about it and continue with that positive education positive education the american people are very smart and they will make the right choice 
Yep. And look, I don't really have much of a problem with certain vaccine mandates. I mean, we've seen vaccine mandates for years in schools, for example. If you're working at health care facilities or senior care facilities, making sure those people are vaccinated, requiring that as a barrier to entry, as a term of, of employment, I really don't have a problem with that. I'm sure some people disagree. But this goes way, way beyond that. This is now once again telling people, and it's so, I mean, there's so many little partial nuances. Well, you only might have to wear the mask if you're vaccinated indoors in certain parts of the country. Then you get Chuck Schumer, you know, throwing his mask on and running to the cameras immediately, which, I mean, the signal is now out. The vaccines and vaccinated people need to wear masks again. That is what the headline is. And a lot of people are yep. going to say, screw you. And a lot of people are going to yep. say, oh, when you want me to get vaccinated, screw you too. Because you're never going to yep. let us out of this cycle. That is what a lot of people are going to feel. And, doctor, I was reading from the New York Times on the air earlier. Let me just quote this again. This is from the new CDC guidance story in the Times. Quote, The agency has released results from a large study showing that the mRNA vaccines made by Pfizer and Moderna were 94% effective in preventing symptomatic illness in those who got two doses and 82% effective in those who had received one dose. So even the half-vax, 82% is really effective, 94% is incredible. That's against symptomatic illness, not even hospitalization or death. Those numbers are teeny tiny microscopic you were like 99 percent plus protected against that stuff from these yeah. uh, from these vaccines i don't understand because you know we hear this term oh the honor system we can't count on the honor system people say that they're vaccinated but they're not if you're vaccinated you are overwhelmingly safe that's what we've been trying to say and i feel like the cdc just cut that argument off at the knees Listen, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, the vaccination, uh, this is one of the most effective vaccines with the fewest side effects that I think the history of science has ever created. And the efficacy to be in the 90s, you know, not even the flu shot or any other, any other vaccines that we have, uh, have come close to those numbers. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that what is happening is that Fauci, uh, and, you know, I'm not a big fan. Uh, I respect him as a scientist, uh, but I don't respect his public policies anymore. I, I think that what they're trying maybe to convince by way of convincing is say, you know what, shut down the country again. And um, uh, you see that uh, the people that are in the fence about the vaccine are going to turn around and, and, and decide once and for all that they're going to do it. And maybe this will fix the problem. Mm. But, you, you know, but you're right. It's not going to fix the problem. If that's the methodology, if that's the, the kind of the, the, the head the head count here that they're looking at this public policy as, OK, you know what? Shut it down again. We're not, you know, you know, 70 percent is an agreement. 30 percent is not an agreement. So shut it down again. And let's, you know, shock it all uh, and, 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 and get everybody uh, into, into this mindset, and you'll see that they'll turn around. I don't think it's going to happen. I think this is going to backfire. The 30% are going to consistently be the 30% that don't want any kind of vaccination, and that's their, you know, that, that's their prerogative. But, but, but for the 70% that are now protected, let things move and continue to move on, and then you can pick and choose what sectors you know you need to wear a mask, uh, whether you know whether you mandate 
public vaccination, a mandatory vaccination for, for state workers and health workers. And, you know, as I said, you know, my hospital, we're going into a policy of every employee has to be vaccinated by October 15th. That's it. We all, you know, we're all in agreement about that. Um, which, which so, again, that, that know, makes sense to me. Manny, I do want to ask you, doctor, about the kids here, too, because that's another piece of this. They're saying masks required in schools now, K through 12. Uh, really, Fauci had said if you're over the age of three, three and older, you have to be wearing masks. And I looked at the U.K. example where they love restrictions and mandates over in the U.K. And even that yeah. government said, no, you don't need to put on masks in children. Yeah. I went yeah. through the, the severe cases, hospitalization, death rates of, of young kids in particular from COVID. It is virtually non-existent. And yet one of the arguments that they're telling us with a straight face is, oh, well, these vaccinated adults, fully vaccinated adults who are living with unvaccinated children under the age of 12, they've got to wear masks indoors because it's about protecting the children and protecting kids in school for students needing to wear masks. There's I just don't see what the evidence is that even comes close to supporting that. This is not science. These are political and social mandates that are predicated in you know in what part of the of the system you you are you know you know if if teachers you know why don't you pass a rule that all teachers need to be vaccinated you want to be a teacher in a public school or in a private school all teachers have to be vaccinated teachers are almost in the same category as some healthcare workers right so they educate our children they deal with their mental health issues you know what? You must be vaccinated if you want to be a teacher. If, if that's the if the argument is that we want to eradicate coronavirus for the rest of our lives, and we want to erase this from the face of the earth, then these are the draconian measures that you take. But you don't punish the children. Listen, this generation, I see it, it, it of, of children, of high school students, of 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 of, of grammar, you know, students. They this is a traumatic experience what they have gone to for the last two years and if it continues it's going to create you know incredible damage mentally so we have to think about the big picture and i don't think that these you know again these one-sided group of people cdc okay mr president you know we can't convince the 30 percent you know let's uh, let's shut down the whole thing we're going to recommend masks from now on does that make you happy mr president okay i think sounds good and that's what you got nothing more nothing less and it's sad because you know, you know, nobody's saying that there's no COVID cases. Of course there are. You know, this variant is very contagious. There, there are significant hospitalizations in part of the country where, the, where a lot of people are not vaccinated. Okay, so statistically you're going to see that. But are we seeing cases uh, like, like never before? No, of course not. We're seeing isolated pockets in communities, uh, you know, but you you can you know if you don't realize the damage not only that not only the economic damage that we went through but the emotional damage you know for people like me 64 you know there's very little you could do to to damage my brain it's already damaged but <laughs> for young children let me tell you something we got we we better wake up and smell the coffee because it, you know, this this has to this has to be thought out in a better way. But yeah, there's a lot of politics. Them. Yeah, we we locked you them know? out of schools in a lot of cases for an entire year, which was completely insane. 
and frankly abusive. And now it looks like, thank goodness, most places are going to be back in schools, but you're going to force them to wear these masks, which, of course, is going to mess with their heads in a number of different ways based on basically you know, nothing. We, there have been 337 look, total children who have died from COVID, and that seems probably like it's an overestimate. 337 and, and, deaths of under 18 in the entire pandemic in America, 75 million kids. I'm just sort of at a loss that this is what the scientific experts have decided to tell us. And, and listen, what Schumer is showing you, okay, that, you know, if, if you're going to have a mandate, okay, all federal, all federal employees, all federal, uh, 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 you know, anybody in Congress, in the Senate, you name it, and every, everybody has to be vaccinated or else. Oh, Mr. Schumer, you don't want to do that. Why? Because you want people to be free making a choice. Yes. Oh, so your solution is now that you're going to wear a mask and you want the rest of America to wear the mask. And if that is your argument, that means that masks are here to stay for infinitum because coronavirus yeah. is not going anywhere. Yeah, it's, it's, not, going it's anywhere. not going to be eradicated. The whole point was to go from no. a pandemic to a more manageable disease, which is what which the vaccine are. The, the, exactly. That's what's happening. And that thanks. Thanks which, to the vaccines. Mm hmm. And, and yeah, yet, what you're having and people are not going to this this on and on, you know, masks on and off forever. People are not going to stand for it. And, by, and this is the last point I'll make. And this is the irony of it. The communities that are most likely to fanatically enforce the mandate on masks for vaccinated people are probably some of the most vaccinated communities. And they will be abided by by overwhelmingly the vaccinated population it's not going to actually fix the problem among people who aren't vaccinated they're not going to follow this either anyway manny i'm up on a break we got to leave it there dr manny alvarez Uh, i'm glad that i'm not going completely out of my mind and that that you as a doctor that we agree on this stuff (laughs) because it feels like i'm in a funhouse with mirrors everywhere i'm like what am i looking at dr manny alvarez on the guy benson show we'll talk soon and we'll be right back guy benson will be right back Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. As we continue here on The Guy Benson Show on Capitol Hill today, there was the special select committee on January 6th in that investigation. And as you know, if you listen regularly, I would have preferred the bipartisan commission, truly bipartisan. Republicans decided to shoot that down. And so they are now stuck with this Democrat-run commission, although there are two Republicans on it, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. I didn't really catch much of it today because I had other things going on. Fox aired all of it as it was live. Regardless of what you think of the politics behind the commissioner and the investigation and the blame, it is important for us all to agree on what actually happened and not look away or pretend like this was not a serious and awful and disgraceful event. There's been a whitewashing among some that does not comport with reality. One of the Capitol Hill police officers who was there that day, Michael Fanone, gave testimony earlier in Cut 23. What makes the struggle harder and more painful is to know so many of my fellow citizens, including so many of the people I put my life 
at risk to defend are downplaying or outright denying what happened. I feel like I went to hell and back to protect them and the people in this room. But too many are now telling me that hell doesn't exist or that hell actually wasn't that bad. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. My law enforcement career prepared me to cope with some of the aspects of this experience. He went on saying, you know that your life is at risk whenever you walk out the door, putting on the uniform. But what happened that day was appalling. He said, some of the members whose lives, offices, and staff I was fighting so desperately to defend are betraying their office. Quote, I agreed to speak here today and to talk publicly about what happened because I don't think our response to the insurrection should have anything to do with political parties. And there were other officers who gave harrowing recollections of what happened. There was video, too. Don't look away. Don't pretend it wasn't what it was. An absolute national disgrace based on a lie. It's the Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Guy Benson Show. Halfway through the show on this Tuesday, I'm Guy Benson. Thanks for tuning in. Yesterday, we had Camille Foster here talking about critical race theory, whatever the term you want to use, race essentialism, intersectionality, wokeism. They're kind of blanket terms for indoctrination and hardcore identity-based politics in schools, especially for younger kids. And a lot of people rightfully are deeply offended by it and concerned by it. And what we hear from the left simultaneously is it's a giant lie. It's a fever dream on the right. It's not really happening. And then also, yes, it is happening and it should happen, which are, of course, incompatible. It cannot be both. It is mutually exclusive. And it just seems like they are taking and grabbing the most convenient excuse in the moment or explanation in the moment or position in the moment in order to advance their cause. So there's a story out of Minnesota that got covered on Fox and Friends. And I think it underscores why a lot of American parents in particular are worried about what's happening in schools, what their children's minds are being filled with at the behest of schools and teachers and administrators and school districts who are buying into The verbiage of wokeness, the entire premise of intersectionality and racial justice and some of the more radical elements of it. There is a fourth grader, so she's going to be a fifth grader, but she was a fourth grader. Her name is Haley Yazgar. And in the last few days, she testified or gave a statement before the school board in her district in Minnesota. And she was talking about this audit, an equity audit that was being performed in this district by a group called Equity Alliance Minnesota. And I did some Googling about the Equity Alliance 
in Minnesota, and there's just a hodgepodge of progressive jargon on their website. They have a list of programs that they offer, including, listen to this, kindergarten readiness camps on equity issues. Talking about five-year-olds here. Well, this girl is roughly nine, Haley Yazgar. And according to her mom, the district alerted parents there was going to be an equity audit. They didn't really know what that meant. They didn't know when it was going to happen. But part of it included a survey that the students were forced to fill out. And they were told they had to answer every question, even if they were uncomfortable or even if they didn't understand the question. One of the questions, for example, and they were heavily related to race. Think about this. These are young elementary schoolers being asked by their school district on a survey in partnership with some left-wing group about their skin color and their sexuality and their gender identity. Eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds. One question, for example, said, do you currently identify yourself as female, male, transgender, or non-binary, or something else? According to this story in the UK Daily Mail, and this is based on the account of Haley and her parents, A young boy in the class asked the teacher if his mom could help explain the question to him, this transgender question, for fourth graders. He said, and this was remote learning, he said, can I ask my mom to help me and explain this to me? The teacher denied the student's request, telling him that he could not ask his mother and that the class was not to repeat the questions to their parents. Think about that accusation. If there's some sort of more anodyne explanation for this, I'd love to hear it. But so far, there's been no denial that I've seen, no suggestion that this girl and her family are lying about what happened. In fact, here is young Haley speaking to her school board recently in her own words, cut 20. My name is Haley Eisner. I was in fourth grade at Riverview Intermediate School last year. During distance learning, I was asked to complete that equity survey she stepped down. Now, if this is even close to what went down, and again, there's no indication that she is not being truthful about this, it is completely unacceptable. And there should be an investigation, frankly. I think there's a strong case to be made that these types of equity surveys as part of an equity audit from some left-wing group has no place in classrooms to begin with. Got a bunch of fourth graders sitting around asking them personal questions about the color of their skin, about their gender identity, that can be extremely confusing and concerning. There's no place for that. But even if you want to make the case that the survey itself and the equity audit is not completely inappropriate, 
if you layer in this detail, this allegation that the kids were told you cannot ask your parents for help, and in fact, do not tell your parents about the questions on this survey, I mean, that is as big and bright of a flapping red flag as you can get. This is why a lot of parents are very deeply concerned and upset about what's happening in schools. Why people are homeschooling, why people are pulling their kids out of public schools and putting them into private schools with values that align with their family's values. How many of these types of things are happening around the country that we don't know about? The fact that you have entire organizations dedicated to administering these types of audits and surveys, I mean, that unto itself, I think, is highly concerning. And you look at this girl, she's extremely young. And you can be one of the most tolerant and open-minded and progressive people in the world or in the country and still say, if my school district is asking my child questions about her skin color, her race, her gender identity, her sexuality, when she's nine? At the very least, I want to know every single detail of what's happening. And then we'll decide whether I consent to it as a parent. And it sounds like that was not in the offing here at all. Kelsey Yazgar is the girl's mother. On Fox and Friends, she said this, cut 22. It is 100% causing division amongst races and schools and amongst children. Children do not see color. They are taught to, te- te- to see color. And when you bring things like Equity Alliance of Minnesota into our school district, equity is the mask that critical race theory hides behind. And we are not okay with that type of, those type of ideologies being taught to our children at school. Politics do not belong in our schools. Yeah perusing this website of this outside group that the district in this case contracted with to come in the equity alliance minnesota the kindergarten readiness camps that phrase in and of itself i find extremely creepy kindergartners do not need a readiness camp on equity issues as they prepare to try to start to learn how to read for example The smallest, the youngest of children in a public school system should not be subjected to kindergarten readiness camps. What we hear from some people on the left is, oh, well, critical race theory, that's just in some law schools. And anyone who tells you that it's being taught, that's a lie for younger students. And if you ban it, then you are banning academic inquiry and discussions among adults on college campuses or in law schools. That is not what I am suggesting. That's not what I'm referring to that's not what I'm advocating what I am saying is when you have students being asked these types of questions very personal questions that might be far over their heads especially at such a tender young age there's a problem when you have kids being taught that based on their skin color they are part of the problem or they are part of some oppressive privileged class and others are victims who are oppressed and have grievances against some of their classmates because of these immutable characteristics that's where it becomes absolutely toxic and they can try to pretend like it isn't happening but it is because this is not just one cherry-picked example it's one after another all across the country 
on critical race theory, and again, this calls back to part of our conversation yesterday on the show with Camille Foster and the terminology that's used and how a lot of people try to, I think, deflect the conversation, hiding behind these hyper-technical, narrow battles over definitions as opposed to the substance of what is being inflicted on these kids. The Daily Mail story that I was quoting from earlier also provided this backdrop as well. Because remember, you've got people saying this isn't happening, it's not being taught in schools, that's what Randy Weingarten tried to claim. Other people have made the argument, people running for office, Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat running for governor in Virginia, he said, oh no, this isn't real. Jen Psaki, circle back at the White House, pretending, oh, just waving this off, what's wrong with these, with these people, these weirdos? They're just making this up, it's a moral panic based on nothing. Well, here's deeper into the Daily Mail story. And we've referenced this before, quote, America's largest teachers union has publicly endorsed the teaching of critical race theory in schools. So this is the bigger union, the one union that's bigger in the country of teachers than Randy Weingarten's group. The American Federation of Teachers, she was pretending she was doing the gaslight thing. This isn't real. This isn't real. It's not happening. And then the biggest teachers association and union, the National Educators Association, endorsed CRT in schools, wants to hire staff, quote, to fight back against those who oppose CRT, called for an October 14th rally to be held in honor of George Floyd's birthday. The National Educators Association recently approved a resolution to promote critical race theory through its existing channels. To work to fight back, the resolution reads that the NEA, quote, will provide an already created in-depth study that critiques empire, white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity, racism, patriarchy, cis-heteropatriarchy, capitalism, ableism, anthropocentrism, and other forms of power and oppression at the intersections of our society. That is from their resolution that they adopted, and that alphabet soup of the language of oppression that falls under the broad category of critical race theory or wokeness, whatever you want to call it. They endorsed it explicitly while their comrades in the second biggest teachers union, the leader of that union was pretending none of this even happens. And the more you lie to people, the more suspicious they're going to become. And it looks like a lot of the suspicions, some of it's probably overblown. Some of the solutions I don't support, but it looks like those suspicions overall pretty well founded. And Politico has a story about this with parents, not just conservatives, not just tinfoil hat right wingers, are seeing what's in front of their faces and have an issue with it. And Democrats are worried that they might pay a price. Gosh, I wonder why. Because it's your allies, your base, your radicals, your activists doing this stuff, thrusting it on society and then leaving their allies to pretend like, oh, no, nothing to see here. Details from that Politico story as soon as we come back. It's The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Back on The Guy Benson Show, picking up where we left off. I mentioned this Politico story about critical race theory and the backlash that it has triggered and is triggering. Let me read 
from part of this story. On the national level, Democrats have insisted that the brush fires on critical race theory, which has become a political punching bag even for unrelated equity initiatives, although, again, I think that it is all interconnected. It's their term, intersectionality. It all sort of fits together. It's part of this push toward progress, quote-unquote. And if we're just going to nickname it something, critical race theory probably applies. Maybe there are better terms like wokeness or equity or whatever, but it's, again, related because they say it's related. They say this whole struggle is intertwined and interconnected. In any case, Politico reports the Democrats are insisting that this is largely the work of right-wing activists who willfully misrepresent what it means, and they blame Fox News, of course, for fanning parents' anger. Right-wing conspiracy, says Terry McAuliffe. But those Democrats appear to be underestimating parents' anger in places where critical race theory is top of mind. Objections to new equity plans are not the sole province of conservatives, but extend to many moderate and independent voters, according to Politico, and interviews with school board members, political operatives, and activists in Democratic and left-leaning communities, including the northern Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C., Palm Beach County, Florida, New York's Westchester County, Maricopa County covering Phoenix, Arizona, and suburban Detroit. So Politico went and talked to a lot of the stakeholders, as they would say, in these left-leaning communities all across the country, and they are finding parents and citizens and voters who are very upset by what they're seeing. And at the elite levels in the media and in democratic politics, they're telling all these people that they're crazy. This isn't real. These people are lying. It's a big right-wing thing. Oh, it's Fox News. Well, they profiled one woman who's an immigrant, a Democratic voter. She lives in Northern California. She's leading the charge locally against race-fixated curricula and what a lot of people see as indoctrination. And Politico says that she is, quote, representative of Democrat-leaning or politically moderate suburbanites interviewed across six states, all but one of which were won by Biden. They are up in arms over their school system's new equity initiatives which they argue are costly and divisive. The story cites frustration over schools becoming too progressive too fast. While those complaints have often been branded in the media as critical race theory, the causes of the anger are varied and are being ignored, parents say. So these are not people who are likely to be watching Tucker Carlson every night. These are lefty voters who just see what's happening with their kids in their kids' schools, and they have a problem with it, and this dismissive back of the hand from Democrats, oh, it's all made up. They're underestimating what's really happening on the ground. And a lot of the polling that the Politico story also talks about shows, especially when you start spelling out specific tenets of this race fixation, the wokeism, the critical race theory, when you ask Americans, do you support or oppose teaching that in schools, It is lopsided. It is overwhelming. People hate this stuff, which is why I think they have to misrepresent it and pretend like it isn't really happening. People are paying attention, and that's the problem for the left, and that's why Democrats are worried in some of these places. And if you have a problem with it, keep it up, because it's going to take a coalition to defeat this, this poison. 
Final hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up. Ben Shapiro, my guest, when we return. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Sliding into the happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show, our final of three hours... 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday. GuyBensonShow.com if you ever miss any moment of the show as we air. It's a free podcast on demand each and every day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your free podcasts. And the happy hour sponsored by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink. Refreshing, crisp, delicious, especially when it's hot out. TheLongDrink.com is their website. They are exploding in popularity, expanding across the country. You can find out where the product is sold near you or order online, which is what I do. TheLongDrink.com, 21 plus only. Always drink responsibly. With me now is Ben Shapiro, editor emeritus of TheDailyWire.com, host of The Ben Shapiro Show. He's a New York Times bestselling author. New book out today, The Authoritarian Moment, how the left weaponized America's institutions against dissent. Ben, good to talk to you again. Hey, good to talk to you, Guy. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, although when I read elements of your book, and I've skimmed through some of it, it's hard to really feel like I'm embracing the happiness in our happy hour because (laughs) it's a fairly disturbing thesis, and part of the reason that I'm dyspeptic is I think you're broadly correct. Give folks just the elevator pitch for the authoritarian movement and what you're arguing. Uh, So in the authoritarian moment, I'm basically arguing that we all, and I mean pretty much everyone in the country with the exception of people on the far political left, we feel as though we are being ostracized from mainstream society. We have all of the major institutions arrayed against us. It feels as though corporations are arrayed against us. The universities are arrayed against us. The media and social media are arrayed against us. Even our Supposed scientific authorities are arrayed against us. And in the authoritarian moment, I talk about why that has happened, why it is that so many of these institutions have been renormalized and how they were renormalized. I also talk about how to fight back against that and re-renormalize the institutions or bring them back to normal. But, you know, the, the simple fact that people on the right feel under assault, that is substantiated by some pretty significant evidence. I mean, the fact is that all of the major institutions of the society are now being wielded against people who don't engage in the sort of group thing the left wants us to engage in. And again, every bipolar data, every single subgroup in the United States feels it with the exception of the radical left that's in control of it. And the radical left, they're sort of safe until they're not. This is what's kind of fascinating about the dynamics over there. If you stick with every single rule and the rules change constantly, then you're safe. But the moment you wander off the script, they turn on each other, right? The revolution eats itself is the old phrase, and it is playing out in technicolor. It's, it's very obvious. It happens all the time. Some of the converts, frankly, to at least old-school liberalism, if not conservatism, are leftists who have gotten burned by this. 
That's exactly right. I think the, the key to understand about the changing rules, which we feel every single day, right? One day you say something like, this is completely inoffensive. And then within a week, it just radically changes into something offensive. So, for example, Amy Coney Barrett uses the term sexual preference in a, in a Senate hearing. And literally that day, Maisie Hirono says, you know, that's an offensive term. And then dictionary.com changes the term sexual preference to refer to how it's offensive. <laughs> so the, the rules are, are malleable and shifting ad infinitum. But the shifting is the point, right? Well, and and by the way, just, just one other example system. that I've enjoyed recently is when Mary Catherine Hamm and I wrote End of Discussion, sort of on some similar themes six years ago, we listed this lexicon of left-wing terminology to help people understand what they were what they were saying and what they meant and what the rules supposedly were at the time. And one of the terms that we singled out was triggering and trigger warning. And now that is, in fact, triggering unto itself because of gun violence. They can't say it anymore. So that's been stricken from the woke dictionary for its own new sinful nature. I mean, it it spins your head. It's insane. And, and it's the spinning of the head that's the phenomenon they're looking for. The goal is to make you dizzy, not to be consistent. And I think conservatives make a fairly large scale mistake when you say, well, you know, their standards are just inconsistent. Yes, of course, their standards are inconsistent. Right? Every single major leftist argument has is ripe with inconsistency. But that's the whole point. You're supposed to hold two completely opposing thoughts in your head at the exact same time. Like you're supposed to believe, for example, that gender is both a social construct and completely immutable. Right? You're supposed to believe that race is both a social construct, but also racial essentialism is real. These are things that are in direct contravention of one another. And yet, if you don't hold both of those thoughts in the same time and mirror those thoughts, then you've violated the rules. And this means that we can force you to some sort of now a struggle session to keep your career. It's, the, the whole point here is not that they wish to enlighten you to a, a wiser way of viewing the world. The whole point is you obey or we will come after you. Yeah, and, and the struggle it, sessions very successful. The struggle sessions really are... I think it's a perfect way of describing it, flashing back to the communist revolution in China and these bouts of self-flagellation and groveling apology, and often that is not even good enough. Ben, here's the thing, though. We've got a number of listeners here, and I hear from them regularly, who are independents, maybe left-leaning as well, and I can imagine some of the arguments that they might be formulating as they listen to the two of us talk, because we're both conservatives. One of them might be, okay, here we go. We've got Benson and Shapiro whining about the left again and all these rules and how they're targeted and just victims of everything. I thought conservatives were bootstraps people. I thought conservatives were against whining and against victimhood. What's your response to someone who might frame your argument that way? I mean, what, what I would say is that, you know, when you are actually being targeted by overtly by, by institutions, at that point, it's no longer you know, kind of self-perpetuated feelings of victimhood. At that point, you actually have to evidence the victimhood. And I think you can see that when you're talking about people actively being fired for their politics or, or being socially ostracized or being treated as, as unhuman or inhuman, rather, online for, for their particular perspective. In other words, yes, it's a complaint. Also, it does have a solution, and that solution, one is sort of a bootstrap solution, and one is a collective action solution. This is one of the things I talk about in the book is sort of solutions to this, not just the whining. The, the sort of bootstrap solution is, okay, so we should create alternatives. I mean, we have created media alternatives. We've been very successful in that sphere, conservatives have. Um, but we may have to actually do this in the realm of neutral service providers. So, for example, if PayPal decides that all of a sudden they're going to be engaging with the ADL in policing what they call, quote-unquote, hate speech, and that starts to creep outside the boundaries of sort of normal we're going to go after actual criminal activity and into you say a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Therefore, PayPal will not allow you to engage in in service. Well, then we're going to have to start our own PayPal. Is that my ideal? No, I would much prefer 
the sort of second solution that I propose, which is that people mobilize on behalf of neutrality. I think there has to be, there, there's no such thing as a radical moderate, which is one of the great tragedies of politics, but there has to be uh, at least a coalition of people ranging from the moderate left to the conservative right yep. who say it's important for us to have these neutral spaces. And if you're not going to engage in neutrality, well, then we're going to be just as intransigent and just as loud as the radical left has been. What's really happened here is that a very small percentage of the population has mobilized massive institutions by relying on the both apathy and risk aversion of a lot of people who are in the middle and don't and really fear. want to fight. Well, and fear, for sure, for sure. And but but the fear really wouldn't even be the factor if there weren't so many people who are risk averse. Right, because how can 20 percent of an organization take over the entire direction politically of a neutral organization? The answer is you've got a bunch of people in the middle who just don't want to fight. Like they think, OK, well, you know, there is it really that big an ask. Is it really worth the conflict? Right. If they all just stood up at once and said, no, then this would be over pretty quickly. And you, you see that occasionally every so often. You'll just say people say it's so easy and yet it doesn't happen. I mean, guy, you saw the other day. I just I tweeted out I think it was yesterday. If you actually want to end polarization in the country, we can all do something very quickly, okay? We can all go online, all of us, right, left, center, pick somebody who voted differently than you, say they're a nice person, and that you enjoy reading their work. Okay, and I had probably dozens of conservatives who immediately started tweeting out people who were center or center left or even far left. I don't know of anybody on the left who's edited out anybody on the right, which sort of demonstrates where things are at this moment. Ben, let's pause right there. I want to follow up on that. Ben Shapiro on The Guy Benson Show. More with Ben right after this break. Guy Benson will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. It is the happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show. My guest is Ben Shapiro. New book out today, The Authoritarian Moment. And Ben, you were just talking about some solutions in terms of pushing back against the mob, quite frankly. This second solution that you mentioned, you and I have talked about this privately, offline, and it's not something that I am really inclined towards in terms of disposition or worldview. I don't like the idea of counter boycotts and collective action and hounding people, but I'm sort of there. Because there have been a few different episodes that radicalized me, one of which was Major League Baseball and the All-Star Game robbing it from Atlanta for no good reason. And it's like, okay, if their loud, angry, marginal mob is going to be able to bully huge organizations and basically call the shots, I guess the rest of us have to figure out a way to bully them not to do exactly what we want, just bully them into neutrality which is your point. Yeah. We don't need them to all be yeah. right-wing and doing pursuing politically conservative things. Just stay out of it. Yeah, it's right. And, and there's a great kind of case in point as to what the left wants. The left doesn't want neutrality here. And the best sort of case I know of this is there's a company called Coinbase out of Silicon Valley. And Coinbase is a, it's a platform for trading cryptocurrency. And the head of the organization, uh, who tends, I think, toward the libertarian, from what I understand, he put out an edict to his staffers that we are just not going to talk politics on the Slack channels at work. It's bad for it's bad for morale. It's bad for, you know, the, the sort of how the company operates. We're just not going to do politics at work. He got unbelievable blowback from the left wing. Sixty of his employees quit, not because he said you have to mirror right wing positions, but because he said we're just not going to talk politics at work. The left is, is not interested in neutral. They're, they're interested in destroying neutrality. If we have to mobilize in order to re-neutralize these, these institutions, then, frankly, I don't see that we have any other choice. It was funny and by the, the way, day, for, the, for the people who quit, let them walk. Like, sayonara. Right, exactly. 
Exactly. Like if, totally if you want to go and be woke in the workplace, find some ultra woke company and you can go do that. And hopefully people who are either like minded in terms of our worldview or just don't want that stuff at work, they can apply for those slots and hopefully be compensated handsomely and go do good work. Right. I mean, this is how yep. we can use the marketplace to sort of shift at least the dynamics of this fight a little bit. Ben, let me give you another point that some people might argue, and I think that there's some merit to it as well. Critics on the left or in the center saying, okay, he's calling his book the authoritarian moment. He's going after the left, and maybe he's got a few solid points there, and the left is complicit in this, but isn't the right as well? I mean, look at what just happened in the election and January 6th, and a lot of people who seem to be untethered completely to the Constitution or factual information about elections. I mean, it is sort of scary out there in certain precincts on the right where it seems like authoritarian impulses are rather strong. I know you address it a little bit in your book, but just for the purposes of this conversation and people listening who might want to pick up the book and say, okay, there's some intellectual consistency here and honesty here, what's your reply on that front? So, I mean, I begin the book with exactly that argument. The argument from the left is that authoritarianism on the right doesn't just exist. It's the existential threat to the country. And I think that there are certainly authoritarians on the right. I mean, I think January 6th was a bunch of people who are attempting to you know, overthrow the institutions of government. But the point there is that it was a giant failure. Anybody who says that January 6th was that these, these idiots who ran into the Capitol building and now are all under arrest, and this was a true threat to overthrow a 200-year-old democracy, that's insane. I'm sorry, that's just crazy. Okay, the entire thing was over within four hours, and the Republicans were voting to certify the election in the Senate. The, the real question is, what is the greater threat to you? Like, if you're worried about authoritarianism, are you more worried about idiots running into the Capitol building? Or are you more worried about every major institution in society that has essentially embraced right. a quash dissent view uh, of politics. I mean, I- I'm more worried, frankly, about Amazon Web Services deplatforming de- Parler in the aftermath of January 6th than I am about failures of, of law enforcement to properly get on scene and-, and prevent people from invading the Capitol building. All those people are going to jail, but I, I am deeply well, worried about the people who fomented it and-, and told the lies that oh, yeah. led to the riot. Sure. But And I think just to buttress your point a little bit, Ben, I am very concerned about extremism and authoritarianism and illiberalism on the right, and we see far too much of it, and I criticize it. But to underscore your point, it is much more insidious and dangerous on the left because these huge taste-making institutions in our society, from the media to culture to corporate America, they basically have the back of the illiberal forces on the left, or at least knuckle under to them. The media is often in full-throat in favor of authoritarian censorship and that sort of thing when it comes from the left, whereas all of those institutions sort of link arms passionately against right-wing authoritarianism with a lot of conservatives joining that fray and joining that battle, whereas when the, when the concerning tides are shifting in the other direction, the opposition to it, the resistance, if you will, to it, feels a little lonely sometimes. Yes, I think that's exactly right. I think that what we've seen is that authoritarianism is not unique to any one political creed. The question is whether major institutions in a society actually back it. And and here I would actually ask the left, you know, their definition of racism is not just that, that racism is bad across the board. They say it's racism combined with power. That's really a problem. Okay, well, if authoritarianism is bad, then isn't authoritarianism combined with, with power a much greater threat than just simple authoritarianism? 
Like, if you have a if you have an idiot online who's saying authoritarian things, or even if you have a president of the United States who says things that seem authoritarian, but then he doesn't have the institutional wherewithal to pull it off, right. is that is that more scary than entire institutions of both government and culture cramming down overt violations of rights? Right. It's it's a question. If you're opposed to authoritarianism, which of course I am, which form of it is likeliest to succeed in its authoritarianism, given the constellation of power and influence in the country that might be prevailing? And I think to that question, there is one correct answer, and you've landed on it in your book, The Authoritarian Moment, which is on sale today. Ben, just a quick news of the day item. I've seen you tweeting up a storm about it. We've addressed it multiple times in the show already today. But the CDC and their new guidance on masking for children in schools, for vaccinated adults, and it seems like a lot of this is being sold as we need to protect the children, even though There is virtually no science whatsoever behind it. And yet, here we go again, and here we are. It's hard for me at this point not to think that the Center for Disease Control has has become the Center for Totalitarian Control. There's no science to back this. I mean, none. uh, I was tweeting out the statistics earlier, and then people just tweet back at you, well, you don't care if people die. (laughs) Okay, I just gave you the statistics. So here are the actual statistics on this sort of stuff. So the CDC just said that if you're vaccinated, you should wear masks in your home with your children if they're under the age of 12 because they can't be vaccinated. We currently have, according to that same CDC, 337 people under the age of 18 who have died with COVID, not from COVID, with COVID, because a lot of those people have significant underlying conditions if they're children. That's out of a subpopulation in the United States of 75 million people. In that same period of time, 810 kids have died of pneumonia. If you're talking about the risks of vaccinated people dying of COVID because of breakthrough infections, according to the CDC, again, I'm quoting their own staff, according to the CDC, 161 million Americans have been vaccinated. A grand total of 5,914 Individuals in the United States have been, diagn- have, have been hospitalized with COVID or died from COVID. Okay, that means that your chances of even being hospitalized, not, not dying, which is much lower, your chances of being hospitalized with COVID after having a vaccine are 1 in 27,223. And based on these probabilities, that you are that you, 337 out of 75 million or 1 out of 27,223, you're supposed to mask up post-vaccination. No, it's, it's total it's nonsensical bullcrap. Yeah, it's, it's complete madness. And then they wonder, you know, why is there so little regard for the experts? Why won't people listen to us? And, and I think that they just need to look right in the mirror when they ask that question, because the answer is staring at them. Ben Shapiro is editor emeritus of The Daily Wire. He's host of The Ben Shapiro Show. His new book on sale today is The Authoritarian Moment, How the Left Weaponized America's Institutions Against dissent. Ben, good luck with the book. You always seem to do very well with these books, so we want to help you succeed again. And let's talk again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Guy. Ben Shapiro on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. As we continue here on the happy hour of The Guy Benson Show on this Tuesday, earlier in the program, Dr. Manny Alvarez, Fox News contributor, senior health analyst, he joined us Ben Shapiro gave his thoughts on the CDC guidance released today. How about a doctor? Dr. Manny weighed in. Listen. Well, I'm frustrated, and and you might hear it in my voice. I'm very frustrated today because I have spent so much time and energy on this show with this audience, and even in my personal life with friends who are hesitant or not sure about the vaccine, doing everything that I, that I possibly can, marshalling all the data that I possibly can to convince them that the vaccines work, And then 
the CDC comes out and says, well, even if you are fully vaccinated, it doesn't matter. We want you to put your masks back on indoors. And I feel like a lot of the progress that has at least been attempted for some people is going to go right out of the window because they're going to say they don't really believe in the vaccines. All they want to do is control our lives. And it just, for me, it feels harder to argue against that. No, listen, I, I think you have a, a very, very good point. Uh, the, the messages are incredibly mixed. Um, you know, the whole mandate of a mask for vaccinated people is, you know, really not justifiable uh, whatsoever. You know, the facts are the facts. Vaccinated people are very well protected from hospital ta- hospitalization, severe disease, and, you know, it allows them to, you know, feel free. You know, it's like PTSD all over again. You know, I understand, you know, as a physician, for instance, I have to wear a mask in the hospital. But then that's a different scenario. That's a, that's an institution where you have sick people and you have vulnerable people so that uh, even vaccinated staff, uh, you know, could, uh, you know, let's say uh, carry the virus, which is not affecting them personally, but I understand that, you know, there's certain circumstances and places where a mask is mandated. But when you start creating a very confusing message of, oh, you know, indoors, well, what does that mean? In a restaurant all of a sudden again, in small business, um, you're going to get this, uh, you know, a schizophrenic response. And just like you said, you know, there's a tremendous distrust and i don't know i never seen it uh you know this whole weekend i spent time talking to people who have been calling me because their children are going to college and the parents don't want the children to take the vaccine and you know and you know i i i i'm 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 sort of you know trying to advocate for some normal way of thinking and you know sometimes i got through sometimes i didn't get through but the bottom line is that what what is happening is that the number of cases of people that are getting COVID are those that have chosen not to be vaccinated. But you cannot really create a scenario of mixed messages for the population, the vast population that has gotten the vaccine. So this is it's just very, very poor management of how to deal with this problem. I think that this is going to backfire big on the president and it's going to backfire big on the CDC all over again, as it did at the beginning of this whole fiasco. And, you know, I think the message should be very clear. Continue with the advocacy of vaccination. Find ways to convince people in a normal way. Uh, find, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, people that have gotten vaccinated vaccinated and feel very good about it and continue with that positive education, positive Mm -hmm. education. The American people are very smart and they will make the right choice. Yep. And look, I don't really have much of a problem with certain vaccine mandates. I mean, we've seen vaccine mandates for years in schools, for example, if you're working at health care facilities or senior care facilities, making sure those people are vaccinated, requiring that as a barrier to entry as a term of, of employment. I really don't have a problem with that. I'm sure some people disagree, but this goes way, way beyond that. This is now once again telling people, and it's so, I mean, there's so many little partial nuances. Well, you only might have to wear the mask if you're vaccinated indoors in certain parts of the country. My full interview with Dr. Manny Alvarez available on our podcast, which is free on demand every day. 
GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, Spotify, Pandora, the iHeartRadio app, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all sorts of options, no charge, each and every day. When we come back to the home stretch, we'll talk about the Olympics in Team USA, some ups, some downs, and a breathtaking withdrawal from a superstar. That's next. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. Last night, I got in and turned on the TV and was able to catch the medal ceremony for an American who had won the gold medal. Her name is Lydia Jacoby. She's now a sensation. She shocked the world by winning gold in the women's 100-meter breaststroke, upsetting several other competitors. She's 17 years old. She's from Alaska. Seward, Alaska, population 2,700. I've actually been to Seward, Alaska, believe it or not. A small community where apparently there was only one pool in the whole state that was the correct size for this event. And that's where she trained. She trained against competition that was not as elite as you might expect for an Olympian. And the competition would just be different and more intense if she lived in the lower 48 in general. I think that's generally understood. But she came out of nowhere and won the gold. So I watched as she and a fellow American who won the bronze stood on their podiums. They have to put their own medals on now because of COVID. That's while wearing a mask. I think some of this is very silly. But nevertheless, she has her gold medal. And then the American flag rose and the anthem played. And it was really inspiring. And they had a live shot of her family watching. And they all stood in place during the anthem. And to just put yourself in those shoes and thinking back to being 17 years old, more than half a lifetime ago in my case, and to burst onto the scene and come in first place under the brightest lights, it's just incredible. And there was a watch party, I believe at her high school. There was a lot of students gathered in one place watching the race. And... Someone on social media, through the Team USA account, and this went everywhere, synced up the very end of this race to the reactions of these students who were rooting for her in Alaska. Here's what it sounded like on the NBC telecast, Cut 27. King is behind, Schumacher is a bubble in lane four with a slight lead, and then you've got Jacoby, Jacoby up there in lane three, challenging Schumacher, we've got 10 meters left, Lydia Jacoby, the 17-year-old from Alaska, is putting on the surge of her career, and Lydia Jacoby is going to win gold for the United States. And I tweeted the video where they synced it up with her victory, and then these kids watching, And it was just goosebumps raising. You had these teenagers, first of all, just flipping out in general, jumping around, yelling, rooting her on. And you can hear it in the broadcaster's voice. The analyst just yells, Jacoby, like she just turned on these afterburners. 
and surged into the lead, never lost the lead. And when she touches the wall of the pool and solidifies her gold, and the graphic shows up on the screen with the American flag and then her name in first place, these kids go absolutely crazy. I mean, they are just leaping into each other's arms. Everyone is jumping up and down in this little community in Alaska. This is the essence of the Olympic Games. This is what makes this type of competition so exciting and so inspiring. Just the absolute unmitigated thrill for her whole community, rooting so intensely for her, and then the outpouring of joy when she won. That was just awesome. And she stood there with her hand on her heart as the anthem played. I don't know how I could have kept it together. I saw the British diver, Tom Daly, he won his first gold the other day. And as God Save the Queen played, he was just crying. And that would probably be my reaction under those circumstances. But it was just amazing to watch. Congratulations to Lydia Jacoby, 17. And everyone rooting for her across the whole country, especially, shout out, to Seward, Alaska. Now, Team USA has had a few setbacks as well. Like the basketball team, the men's basketball team, lost to France. How does that happen? We talked about the women's soccer team and their shutout loss to Sweden. There's also an extremely prominent swimmer, Katie Ledecky, who came in second place when she was the heavy favorite to win. People were like, oh, she can't possibly lose. Then she, well, she didn't really lose, but she didn't win the gold. In fairness to her, she had one of her best times ever in that event. It just wasn't quite good enough. Someone else beat her. It happens. But the U.S. medal count is pretty good and growing. I saw that we were just ahead, last I checked, of China. That may have changed because the time zones are all different. It's all ongoing. But certain events and certain medals, like there was a skateboarder who I think who choked on Team USA, and it's tough. I mean, it's tough to watch. You're, of course, rooting for our fellow Americans, And then there was the head-scratcher, and this is making the huge headlines. I mean, this is the biggest story of the day on the Olympics. Simone Biles, probably the most famous, most prominent athlete on Team USA in these Olympics at all. Quite arguably, I think most people probably would agree there's a consensus. She's the greatest of all time in women's gymnastics. She ended up withdrawing midway through the women's team event yesterday. And they're citing a health issue, but her coach said that physically she was fine, and there were some subsequent statements from Biles herself suggesting that this was something to do with her mental or emotional state, that she could not continue to compete. Now, it's unclear if she's going to compete in the individual events coming up later in the week. She said, we're going to wait and see and take it day by day. But obviously, and she said this, this is not conjecture, she said the pressure of being the best in the world and all of the expectations really got to her. She said she's also dealing with some other things. And you never know what's happening in someone's life. So I see some of the takes online of people really ripping into her, saying 
she abandoned her teammates and all this other stuff. You don't know what someone's situation is. Here's how she addressed part of it earlier. Cut 26. Where would you put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of how you're feeling physically and emotionally? Um, physically, I feel good. I'm in shape. Um, emotionally, that kind of varies on the time and the moment, you know, uh, coming here to the Olympics and being the head star of the Olympics is not an easy feat. So we're just trying to take it one day at a time and we'll see. So it very much sounds like she is physically able to compete, but she pulled herself out of competition because of something else happening between her ears and in her heart. And it's unclear exactly what that is. Clearly, she indicated the pressure is part of it. A lot of athletes thrive on pressure. When you have the biggest stage and there are expectations, that's where the greatest athletes tend to prove their mettle. And so that's why I think it's safe to say some eyebrows were raised by this decision. Saying if she's physically capable of competing, but this has to do with her mental or emotional health, there are folks questioning whether that's legitimate, whether that is a good reason to pull out, especially midway through. The team, by the way, ended up meddling but with a silver they lost to the russian team although they're not technically the russian team because they're currently banned they can't use their flag or their anthem because i believe of some sort of scandal doping or something else they're on probation but team usa were i'd say widely expected in this event to win to win the gold and they didn't with simone biles dropping out of that competition and christine i have to say like I think she's amazing. She is unbelievably talented. She does specific moves. That's probably not even the correct term. But she performs feats in gymnastics that other human beings simply cannot do. She's unbelievable. And I'm rooting for her, and I want to cut her slack, and I don't want to pile on or be part of any sort of you know big, judgy crowd. At the same time... I do think it is, at the very least, an interesting topic of conversation about someone... I mean, this is the Olympics, and there's a gold medal on the line, and it's a team event, and to have that stature and to make a choice, a decision to back away, not because you're physically unable to go, but for other reasons, I can understand at least some of the questions that are circulating today. You know, I... I would have agreed with you just a little while ago, especially in our, our, our show meeting. I kind of was on the same, like, wait a second, because you're not doing so well, did you mentally psych yourself out and now you're pulling out? But the more I'm reading and the more I'm hearing from her, and she's actually being very open and actually talking to the press about this, something that we obviously don't know, something is not right. And she knows well enough, she said that she could hurt herself out there because she's not in the right mind frame. Or she could, you know, be harmful to her team and she could have made it worse. So she decided to pull herself out. I think we're going to hear so much more about this. I think that she's going to come through on the other end, honestly, as a hero, as someone that is going to speak up for uh, a lot of people with 
or people that are struggling mentally, especially in these high pressured events. And because um, the thing is, I'm, she's I'm done it before. For her. Like under huge exactly. pressure and bright lights, she's performed over and over again. So it's not like finally she gets to the big time and chokes. That's not what happened here. But it's still. No. Very unusual to see this happen, and she's being, as you say, pretty candid about it. I really hope that whatever it is, she can move past it or get through it. I hope she's able to compete later in the competition and later in the games because she's such a draw, and she has so many fans for good reason. I think they would be so disappointed not to see her out there doing what she does better than literally anyone else on Earth. And we can only hope and root and maybe pray for her and for the rest of the athletes out there. But, I mean, it is obviously the number one biggest story today, even eclipsing that gold medal that I just talked about. We played the clip from Lydia Jacoby in women's swimming. But I'm not going to comment further or try to get into too much speculation. Let's see how the chips fall moving forward, and we can just root for her and wish her the best. 100%. And with that, we are out of time. Go Team USA. Keep crushing it if you're winning. Right the ship if that's what is needed. The whole country is rooting for you guys. Back here for the Wednesday edition of the Guy Benson Show. Tune in tonight on Kennedy. I'm joining the panel, Fox Business Network, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, have a great evening, and we'll catch you back here on the radio tomorrow. Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.